We are dealing with the tests that happen in our own lives and looking at the tests that happened to Jesus as he was arrested, tried, and executed. And so that's our Lenten series. It follows on the heels of the Tangled series about the seven deadly sins. And today we're looking at the test of injustice. The more I studied this, the more I thought about it, the more I read about it, the bigger this test became in my own mind and heart. And I think it is a big test for you. It is the test of injustice. We read from Mark chapter 14, verse 53. This follows on the message last week about the betrayal of Jesus. Right before that, his prayer in Gethsemane, not my will. That was the test of sorrow, the test of betrayal, and now the test of injustice. Verse 53 of Mark 14 says they took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. While Jesus is being beaten, likely on the second story of Caiaphas's house, Peter's down in the courtyard warming his hands by the fire. Next week, we're going to see what happens with Peter. This is infuriating, the way they treated Jesus. It's enraging, the injustice that he bore. Who are these 70 people, these judges of Israel, the Sanhedrin, who gather in a circle and listen to false witnesses already with the verdict in their mind? Who are they? Sinners like us? How can they pass judgment on the perfect one, the righteous one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? 
It's maddening to see Jesus treated this way, to see him at the hands of wicked men, being dragged into court, beaten, and eventually crucified. Injustice angers us all. It makes us mad from when we are children and we tell our parents, that's not fair. And we declare it with conviction, even as children, that there ought to be justice in the world. And often our parents will respond to the charge of that's not fair by saying the world's not fair. Life's not fair. Get over it. Right? So injustice permeates human life on the planet. It's everywhere. Everywhere you turn. People are being treated unjustly. People are acting unjustly. And others suffer because of it. Jesus is drug into court. They lie about him. They misquote him. Eventually, they condemn him. This by the two finest justice systems on planet Earth who conspired together to kill Jesus. The Roman justice system, which was so proud of its justice all over the world, Roman law, you can read about it, heralded in its day as the finest justice system anywhere. And the Jewish system, built on the old covenant. These two systems conspired together. Herod, the priests, Pilate, the governor, to kill Jesus. Having given their verdict, it is no wonder that all the disciples fled. If they hung around, would they die too? So how's it going to be with you and injustice in the world, injustice in your own life, when you're treated unfairly at school or at work or in the family? How's it going to be with you? When injustice gets personal and it happens to you or to the ones you love, Will you still love God? Will you still trust God when injustice happens to you in your world and you are stinging from it? You're angry about it. You say, how can this happen? And it may come out of your mouth like it often comes out of the mouths of people. How can this happen and there be a just God in the world? a very fundamental question people ask it all the time it's related to the question if God is good how do bad things happen how can that be if God is just and the Bible says he is then how can injustice be everywhere in the world 
the justice of God is more important to our worship here today than his power. You might worship a powerful God who is not all-powerful if he was just. But you will not worship, you will not voluntarily bow the knee to an unjust God, even if he is all-powerful. The justice of God is more important to your worship, your trust, and your love even than his power and his control of the world. And the Bible insists from beginning to end that God is just. Everything we do in our faith, in our gatherings, in our songs, our prayers, and our worship depend upon and are predicated upon the justice of God, that he is fair, that he does what is right. And when unjust things happen to us, often our faith is shaken and we wonder if we should keep trusting and loving God. I walked into a prison some years ago one of these parish jails where a man was incarcerated and his brother had asked me to go see him. I never met the man before. I walked in to the visiting area and pretty soon they brought the prisoner in in his prison clothes. He was about 55 years old. He saw me. I introduced myself as a pastor and he began to cry. He tried to explain what was going on in his heart and in his mind, and he had to do so through the tears. Sometimes he was almost incoherent with the emotion that came over him. He said to me, how can a good God let children suffer in this world? How can that be right? How can that be fair? He was upset and angry, infuriated, and disturbed by the idea that children, innocent children, were suffering in the world. How could God allow that? And part of his anger and emotion was directed at me. He stayed very intense. And I watched him the whole time and listened as I could to his ravings about children being hurt in the world and questioning the goodness of God. But in the back of my mind the whole time was this truth I knew about this man, why he was in the jail, what he was doing here. His brother had told me. It was his fourth DUI that put him in this cell only this time he never put his brakes on as he went through a four-way stop and caught a young father broadside as he went through the intersection he killed a man and left two children fatherless 
Here's a man who wants to stand in judgment on God for the suffering of children when he himself has rendered two of them fatherless. Sometimes our ravings at God's injustice are a way of covering up our own guilt. This does not explain all the evil in the world, but it explains a lot of it. People cause a lot of injustice in the world. And before you start accusing God of being unjust, you ought to look at your life and say, God, am I hearing the cry of the oppressed? Do I care about the needs of the hurting? Am I concerned about those who are suffering unjustly? Does that come to my ears? Before you accuse God of injustice, you ought to ask yourself, am I myself participating and profiting from systems that are unjust, where other people are treated unfairly, but because I know people, I can get the right thing done. We call that justice. We buy it with our influence and our power. But it's not really justice. It's a perversion of justice. We cannot accuse God if we ourselves have closed our ears to the cry of the hurting. If we ask God, what have you done on this planet to address the injustice everywhere? God might say, I sent my son. And then he might say, and I sent you. I sent my church to be salt and light in a world that I knew was messed up. I sent my people out, empowered by the Spirit, to make change in their town, in their community, and in their world. We are indeed the hands and feet of God. Will you still love God even though you have suffered, even though you are stinging from, even though it seems so unfair? Will you still love God? Will you still trust Him? Will you still love your neighbor even though you have suffered injustice? Will you care for the neighbor that's next to you? You have two choices in regard to the test of injustice. You can pull back and dismiss the world, or you can step in and try to make a difference. Jesus encountered false witnesses who made up things and twisted his words. He was unjustly accused. 
Jesus suffered from the breaking of the command, thou shalt not bear false witness, and that people stood up and said things about him that were not true. And even though their testimony did not agree, yet the judges acted upon it. Jesus suffered from systems that were corrupt. I want you to see the distinction here, okay? Individuals can mistreat you. And you might say of that, well, that's that person. They treat other people unfairly too. Even though you're deeply hurt and wounded, you still see it as an injury. But what do you do when the system itself mows you down? As it did Jesus. The system was twisted to exact the verdict his enemies wanted. And the governor was pressured to execute him against all the evidence. The finest systems of justice in the world were perverted by powerful, wealthy men to execute the finest man who ever lived. Will you still love your neighbor when you encounter injustice? I'm not talking about the emotions of affection. I'm not talking about the feelings of affection. I'm talking about the motions of affection and the actions of affection. I'm talking about you not being paralyzed by injustice, but you being liberated to stop along the road with a fellow who's been beat up by thieves and help him out. Are you the guy that's going to stop? Or are you going to see the world is polluted, people get hurt, there's injustice everywhere, I'm going to go on with my life, I'm going to be at peace, I got my piece of the pie, and I don't care about the rest. Is that going to be you? Are you going to pull back into your shell and say, well, it's a mess now and it always will be. It doesn't matter whether I come and invest my life and take the pain and suffer all this. It's still going to be a mess when I disappear off the planet. What are we going to do? If God has indeed created us and saved us to make a change in an unjust world, then at least part of our purpose on the planet is to step in to the fight with the desire and determination to make a difference. That's why the command is couched like this. Love your neighbor, the person who lives next door, the person that you know, the person that you encounter on the road. Not all those unnamed people that you see as a mass and you cannot really love. Maybe you have a kind of affection for all these unnamed, unknowable people. But what about your personal connection to the neighbor next door, to the child in this community? Can you, will you love him or her even though there's injustice in the city. Even though sometimes we lock up the mayor or the governor, even though sometimes people bribe the officials, 
even though the system doesn't always work like it ought to? Are you willing to be part of the solution? We need godly, righteous, just people in political office, in judgeships, in powerful places in our community and in our world. And I've stopped talking about culture wars because I don't want you young people to think that we're at war out there and that's the primary thing we're doing. I would rather you thought about being salt and light when you go out into your world. That you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth. And if you get out of that salt shaker and into your world, you're going to make a difference where God plants you. And that's going to be kingdom work, kingdom light, kingdom health in a world that needs you. Amen. Step into your world. It's what God did. He could have tossed this book down to the planet. And if somebody cries, hey, what do you want us to know? Well, read the book. But God knew that words on a page were not enough. And so he became flesh in Jesus of Nazareth. He came to the planet. He lived as a man among men. And when the Father gave his son the cup, he drank it. You say, what does God do with injustice in the world? He swallows it. He swallowed. He drank the whole thing. He drank the cup all the way to the bitter dregs at the bottom. And I suspect that the bitterest thing he had to drink in the father's assignment for his son was the injustice that he suffered at the hands of men who said they love God. At the hands of people who said our system is just. At the hands of judges who were willing to sell out over envy and greed and anger. The bitterest thing that Jesus drank in the cup the father gave him was the injustice of it all. And when Peter swung his sword and cut off the ear of the high priest, Jesus' response is, what are you doing? Don't you know that I could call legions of angels right now to destroy all this mess? Don't you know I could do that? Wouldn't that be just in a world this sick, this sad, to just send the fire down and nuke them all? But Jesus said, I'm not doing it. I've chosen another way. And when they came by the cross and said, say, if you're who you say you are, come down from the cross if you're the son of God. You got that kind of power. Come on down from the cross. You think you're right. You think you're true. You're the Messiah. Come down from the cross. And he could have. He could have come down. But he stayed right there. While the life drained out of him. So he could drink the cup his father gave him. I got a question for you. Will you still follow Jesus? 
when you encounter injustice, when people in the world do you wrong, when you hit a system that grinds you up, will you still follow Jesus? Are you going to give in to cynicism and skepticism and despair? Is that what's going to happen to you? Are you going to throw in the towel when injustice comes your way and say, this is not right, and give up on trusting God and loving neighbor? Are you going to retreat into your little corner and barricade yourself in Or are you going to do what God calls you to do and Jesus modeled for you? Step into your world with the power of the gospel to change not only the individual heart, but the world that he has made. Will you drink this cup? When it comes your way, Can you lay down your life, deny yourself, and follow Jesus even though you and the people you love are victims of injustice? That's the test. It was the test for Jesus as he went through this trial. It was the test for the disciples as they themselves were treated unjustly and it will be the test for you given that there is injustice in the world will you still love God will you still love people do you have the courage to launch into a world that's wicked and make a difference you say well what do I do with this question about injustice I mean, what am I supposed to do with this? You surrender it. You lay it down at the Savior's feet. You say, God, I don't know all the answers to this question. Why such injustice reigns in the world? But I lay it down at your feet, the just and holy God, And I believe that you do all things well. I trust you. We sing the song, I surrender all. All, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the betrayal, all the injustice. I surrender all these things to you. Let's bow together. Lord, we come before you again with a very personal need. The personal need, God, to deal with injustice, with the unfairness of treatment from others. God, with the unfairness of systems that hurt people. And Lord, we pray that you will empower us even today, that you will help us see from your perspective what we are to do And God, get us past the emotions of love to the motion, the feelings of love to the actions, so that we may not only speak what is right, but do what is faithful, loving, and true. In Jesus' name, amen.